How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. From KMOX Sports. Here's the pitch. A swing and a high fly ball. This could be trouble. It's at the wall. And it's a gunner! Welcome to the Lux Calore International Sports on a Sunday morning. Oh, yeah! America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Welcome back in. Sports on a Sunday morning. Happy Father's Day, especially to all the dads out there. Shout out to you guys. Thanks to Mike Schilt for joining us in our 10 o'clock hour. Chris Raby with you. James O'Sullivan hanging out. Cole Duggar in the house as well. Let's go to Chuck, who's dialed in and is on KMOX. Hey, Chuck, what's up, man? Uh, good morning. Uh, I play golf every Tuesday and Wednesday with a group of retired guys. And we answer and talk about all the world problems, especially baseball. And we all decided when we played golf last week that none of us to a person would ever go to another game again because of the greed of the players. They just don't understand. They could have made a difference. Bob Costas said it. They could have made a difference by replaying or starting on July 4th this year. It would have raised the spirits of all everybody. But no. They needed their full cut of the money. Well, why shouldn't they have gotten it? The owners should have kept that money? Is is that not greed on the owner's part? I'm just playing devil's yeah. advocate. Well, no, I'm not advocating anybody. What I'm saying is that the owners, they can go back and prorate the salaries, but they're losing a whole lot of revenue, too, because there's nobody in attendance, yeah. no concessions, no parking revenue, so that the owners, the players should just have said, let's share this. Well, let me ask you this, Chuck. If they come to an agreement or if they don't and the commissioner sets a schedule and they start playing on July 20th, you still won't go to games because they didn't start on July 4th or at the beginning of July? I, I think what I'm going to do, I'm not even going to watch it. Uh, wow. I'm, I'm just giving up on it, and I'm 71 years old, and I always go to several games every year, but... Uh, you know, eight-dollar beers is you know one thing, but just just the whole attitude is, is just turns me off. Yeah, well, I'm sure that you know. And Chuck, I appreciate it, man. I think a lot of people may feel similarly, but you know, these are this is business. They're negotiations, and a lot of it's being aired publicly. You know, so. we, we well, we lost baseball at the strike. Uh, what was it when? McGuire came back, yeah. Sammy Sosa. They really brought baseball back because a lot of people were boycotting baseball back then because of the greed. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I Chuck, I, I, I get what you're saying, man. I got to take a break. I appreciate the call. And God bless you. Keep working on those world problems. But, you know, I think just, just to portray one side as at fault is, is a little unfortunate. Let's take a break. I, I want to play you a portion of my 2011 Revisited podcast from this week when we come back. I'm Tony LaRusso, bullpen management, and some of the forward thinking. Also, an incredible, I think, story from Jason Mott. That's next. Then John Mozeliak, Cardinals president of baseball operations at the bottom of the hour. We're back in a moment on KMOX. From KMOX Sports. Here's the pitch. Welcome back to the Lux Calore International Sports on a Sunday morning. On America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Welcome back into Sports on a Sunday morning. Chris Raby with you on KMOX. Happy Father's Day. As we talk baseball, John Mozeliak coming up at the bottom of the hour. Big thanks to Mike Schilt for joining us. We talked a little bit about Tony La Russa and want to play you right now a portion of this week's episode of 2011 Revisited, my oral history of the 2011 St. Louis Cardinals on Tony La Russa, bullpen management, and the curious cases of Jason Mott. The wheels of the machine that would power the Cardinals' push to the postseason really started to turn at the end of July as the team sent Colby Rasmus to Toronto and acquired Edwin Jackson, Mark Sipchinski, and Octavio Dotel. Major pieces of the eight-player trade. Jackson slotted into the rotation, Zipchinski and Dotel into a Cardinals bullpen that badly needed reinforcements. Jackson's arrival also meant that Kyle McClellan moved to the bullpen. I think he, he brought stability. You know, I mean, he took my spot in the rotation, and at that point I was, I was on a downward spiral um, trying to figure out, you know, how I could kind of get things going a different direction. And, and trying to stay healthy too, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I was already dealing with the shoulder but didn't really quite know what was going on. Um, and, and so I felt like every time he was out there, you knew what you were going to get. He was going to battle. He was going to, he wasn't going to, you know, maybe go out there and throw a two hit shutout, but he was going to be out there. And he was a, he was a pro man. Like every, the way he went about things, he was a pro. He was a joy to be around a great teammate. Um, somebody that came over and fit in really well and uh, just went about his business and he'd go out there, give you six, seven and, you know, give up a couple runs here and there, but, uh, was a guy that, that to me was huge and kind of solidified that rotation for us. Tony La Russa and his staff had some new pieces and would deploy them masterfully over the last two months of the regular season and into the Major League Baseball playoffs. It's pretty incredible what he's done in his career, isn't it? Skip Schumacher. I mean, the, the most yeah. forward-thinking manager, uh, you know, maybe ever. Skip Schumacher. What he did, whether it was hitting the, the pitcher eight or, you know, or whatever it is. Um, but he, he knew what our strength was. And after the Colby Rasmus trade, our strength, in my opinion, and obviously in Tony's opinion, was, and Dave Duncan's opinion, was our bullpen. I mean, our bullpen, if we got through the fifth inning, heads up, because we could match up with anybody. Um, the dotel Zepchensky trade uh, was, you know, it wasn't big on a lot of people's radars, but now we're matching up, you know, lefty with Prince Fielder, who he, you know, couldn't touch, uh, you know, Scrabble, but, you know, Zepchensky at the time, and, Dotel, you know, obviously uh, Braun couldn't touch Dotel, and now we're matching up the big boys, um, their big hitters with our with our bullpen. And sixth, seventh, eighth inning, now it's just zero, zero, zero. And you know, Mott, you know, when Mott took over the closing role, um, it was just it was over. And so we had four or five innings that we could cover, and you know, got you know, you could always get a day off. The bullpen get a day off because Chris Carpenter's coming right after you know that kind of those bullpen days. It was pretty impressive what Tony and Dunk were doing, and getting some guys in September when they would come up. Boggs had huge innings. Um, you just one guy after another, 
um, were just having big, big inning after big inning and just kind of all came together. The Cardinals' bullpen was both overworked and underperforming for much of the early parts of 2011. From opening day until the day of the trade with Toronto, the Cardinals' collective bullpen had a 4.03 earned run average, better than just seven bullpens in Major League Baseball. Their fielding independent pitching was 4.13. That essentially gives everyone a league average defense, so it wasn't bad luck. And collectively, the bullpen posted a negative .7 wins above replacement. Only the Rangers and Twins, with Mark Stat poor. Speaking simply, the Cardinals' bullpen was not performing. And... They were not helping to take stress off the starting rotation. But the reinforcements and the reshuffling helped. After the trade until the end of the regular season, the Cardinals' bullpen ERA dropped to 3.23 and a fielding independent pitching of 3.42. That ERA, eighth best in all of baseball. The collective group also posted one and a half wins above replacement, according to Fangraphs. An astonishing turnaround in a short period of time from what they had done over the first few months of the year. The month of August, as up and down as it may have been from a record perspective, was simply masterful from the Cardinals' bullpen and set the stage for pitching dominance from the starting rotation in the month of September and into the postseason. From the time of the trade with Toronto through the end of August, over 98 innings, Cardinals relievers posted a Major League Best 2.20 earned run average and a win and a half above replacement. The individual numbers in August were eye-popping for the Cardinals relief core as well, as the team had all of a sudden a stable of workhorses at their disposal. Kyle McClellan appearing in 11 games, throwing a league-high 17 innings in the month, posting a 1.06 earned run average and stranding 96.8% of inherited runners we had somebody for every situation and we probably had two or three guys for every situation hotel has been there done that um arthur rhodes had 20 years in the big leagues i mean a guy that you know you felt comfortable coming in, even though he was at the tail end like he's obviously gotten lefties out for a long time you know you could count him mark zepchinski was huge for us um really brought a, a huge presence to that left side i mean he was a guy that really made a name for himself during that that stretch in the postseason in particular during the playoffs. I mean, he got some of the biggest names out consistently and uh, did a really nice job for us. So Lance Lynn, I mean, my goodness, Lance Lynn came up and and really made a name for himself as like, hey, this is a guy that's going to be here for a while. So Mitchell Boggs, you know, pitched some big innings for us. And we, all of those guys, but like I said, we had, we had power guys, we had sinker guys, we had swing and miss guys, we had lefties that could get guys out. Uh, you had Dotel who would just come in and just come right after guys. I mean, it, we had a, a wide variety of, of guys down there that, that could do anything and, and everything. At the center of it all, leading the club with 15 appearances. But picking up only one save was Jason Mott. The Cardinals had a new closer. Switch hitting catcher from the left side. He bats at the pitch, swinging a ground ball to the second baseman. That is another win for the Cardinals, 7-4. to four. And they take three out of four from this Pittsburgh bunch. A day off tomorrow, head for Milwaukee. You never know, you never know. After cycling through closers at a frustrating and dizzying rate over the first few months of the season, the Cardinals finally found their man at the end of August in that pivotal series against the Pittsburgh Pirates right after Adam Wainwright spoke at the MAC. I remember sitting in the bullpen, and, like, the phone rang. I was like, hey, Mott's got the ninth. And I just remember being like, 
What? It wasn't that Mott had never necessarily been considered before. Here's Kyle McClellan. Well, I think you could kind of see it coming where, you know, early on when Jason got his, his debut at the end of 2008, 2009, he came into camp as our closer and had a rough first few games. And so then that's when we went through trying to figure it out. And then Ryan Franklin ended up being the closer. But you could see the evolution of Jason and it just kind of started to click right before the postseason. Like it, he started to figure out, he started to get that cutter slider down a little bit. And he was able to throw that second pitch. And you started to see his effectiveness go up. But he was not only one of the best relievers on the Cardinals, he was one of the best in all of baseball. We got to that point. Uh, Frankie was closing early in the year. Then it was like Eduardo Sanchez and Salas had, had been doing great and this and that. And um, like I said, I, I had a pretty good run up to that point. But I was like, I'm not, I'm the seventh, eighth inning guy. I'm going to go out there and do what I do. Um, no matter what inning, and just try to get guys out. On June 23rd, after a 12-2 win over the Phillies, Mott pitched an inning, giving up a run. His ERA was 2.90. And then it dropped, and dropped, and dropped, and dropped. After that June 23rd outing, Mott would not give up another earned run until the month of September. And he would give up only seven earned runs from June 23rd on. Five of them coming in two games. And six of the seven coming over a three-game stretch at the end of the season in Philadelphia and then against the New York Mets. Let the record show the Cardinals would win two of those three games. So, if you take those three games out, Jason Mott was nearly unhittable. I said, I, I remember sitting in the bullpen, and they were like, hey, Mott, you got the ninth. I was like, like now? Like like three, like right now? I was like, okay. Went out there, did it, and I was kind of like, okay. You know, just thinking, oh, maybe they're giving, you know, Salas a day off. Maybe we're doing this. Maybe we're doing that. You know, so I was like, okay. You know, I, I didn't really overthink it. Jason started showing that he was the one that was probably going to have, you know, the 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 ability to do this down the stretch. Salas had been great, but started to show some chinks in the armor as Jason was starting to emerge. And so it just made sense for that natural transition uh, for Jason to get that. Mott seemed to acclimate well to the closer's role. Personality-wise, um, you know, Look, Jason's been, you know, he, he's a guy that uh, I think he, he wanted that role. He was excited about it. The only worry that you had with him is him being able to kind of contain it, you know, because he's he is a high-energy guy. Even if he wasn't named the closer. Tony never, like, he wouldn't, like, name me his closer. So he, he wouldn't he wouldn't say I was the closer. So, like, I, I not that I was the one to be like, yeah, I'm the closer. But, like, he, I, like there, was, there, was one, there was one instance where... Um, but perhaps this fits Mott's personality better than any other alternative. You can almost picture him in the bullpen as he walks us through a hilarious and uncomfortable scenario. I can definitely picture him. See if you can, too. We were down there in the bullpen, and they had called down. They said, hey, get Mott loose. It was in the eighth inning. So I get loose. The guy gets out of the jam. I was like, yeah, I'm like... Uh, like I step back down, you know what I mean? Because usually they call back down and they say, hey, you know, Mott's in the game or, you know, Boggs is in the game or whoever or whatever. You know what I mean? So they kind of let you know. And I guess, I don't know, I don't know if Tony was playing to kind of see what I would do or whatever like that, but I just stepped back down. I was like, okay, because you didn't tell me I was in the game. You know, up to that point, the, other, the last, you know, two and a half, close to three years, I've been in the big leagues. You've told me, hey, you're in the game. 
And I, I hadn't been, you know, I wasn't the closer, quote unquote closer. So I was like, I'm not going to get up there and get loose and have him call down and be like, what in the, what, what, what is Mott doing? Get loose. I didn't tell him he was in the game, you know? So I was like, okay. So I'm sitting there and the, the bullpen catch was like, hey, you're going to get loose? I was like, for what? He's like, you're in the game. And I was like, did, did he say that? And he's like, well, no. I'm like, well, I'm, listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to play, play bullpen manager here. I'm like, I'm, if, if he tells me I'm in the game, I'll get loose. But if not, like, I'm, I, I'm not going to get loose because I know, you know, I'm like, I'm not going to try to like play with Tony's head. I'm like, I'm not doing that. Like, forget that. And so I sat there, one out, boom. Well, because like, are, are you really not going to get loose? I'm like, they didn't tell me I was in. So like, how? I don't want to go get loose and then not be in, you know? Sure enough, whack, two outs. And everyone's like looking at me like, oh my gosh, he's not going to get loose. And I'm like, they didn't tell me to get, they didn't tell me to go in. Like, I don't know what to do here. Like, I don't, you know I mean? I don't want to show up Tony by getting loose. And then I think either Tony called or the bullpen catcher called either way and ended up being like, he's not in the game. He's like, yeah, he's like, you're in the game. And I was like, okay. And I was already loose anyway. But I went up there through like four or five balls and then ended up going out and pitching. But it was kind of it was kind of funny because I was like, man, I'm not. It's like you guys were in like a staring contest. Yeah, well, well, and I I just didn't want to assume. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, Tony and Dunks look down and be like, did you tell Mott to get going? Is he in the game? Like I didn't tell him to get going. Like what's he doing throwing? So I was like, okay, I'm just gonna wait. Which is like I said, past three years, that's what they've done. They hey, get Mott hot. He's in the game. Sweet. Then they said, hey, this is a guy that has the stuff. And we know he can manage situations in that ninth inning and be able to, to execute on these. If we're going to have a chance to do this and get through the postseason, he's going to be the guy at the back end. So let's do it now. Let's give him the experience and go from there. But it worked in 11 and it worked in 06. I mean, Adam Wainwright's first save he got was the day before they got into the postseason. And then he ran right through that. At the center of it all was Tony LaRussa. LaRussa, Dave Duncan, and the Cardinals staff pushing all the right buttons. That is a portion of this week's episode of 2011 Revisited. I'm Tony LaRusso, Dave Duncan, and the bullpen. We also, in this episode, touched on Niger Morgan's comments that got the Cardinals going. We heard from the Cardinals about clubhouse and bulletin board material and more. You can listen to it at KMOX.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to the Sports Open Line podcast today. We'll be back with Cardinals President of Baseball Operations, John Mozeliak, next on Sports on a Sunday Morning on KMOX. KMOX Sports. Here's the pitch. Welcome back to the Lux Calore International Sports on a Sunday morning on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Hanging on to the top of the hour, Chris Raby with you. Thanks to Mike Schilt for joining us in the 10 o'clock hour. And we say good morning and happy Father's Day to Cardinals President of Baseball Operations, John Mozeliak. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Good morning. You get a uh, just a pile of gifts this morning from your family? I definitely received a few cards, and I'm sure we'll have a very lovely dinner tonight. Excellent, excellent. You know, it's actually, I guess, technically not, I guess. It is the first day of summer, and we are still without baseball, still waiting. I asked your skipper this. Do you ever feel like wearing a sign with blinking lights around your neck when you're out and about that just says, really, honestly, I don't know when baseball is coming back? Well, I mean, obviously, I'm I'm pretty close to what's going on from the industry standpoint. And, 
you know, I do think I can provide some, you know, insights on what's going on. But the fact is, you know, I don't think anybody thought we'd be where we are today, where it's it's still can't come to an agreement. And so I recognize that there's real frustration throughout, and um, I'm still hopeful that we play baseball. And I, you know, I, I think probably by this time next week, we're going to know what we're doing and, and when, because, um, you know, candidly, the clock's ticking. And if, if we can't resolve this soon, it's 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 going to be uh, somewhat academic of, of what we can and cannot do. And so fingers are crossed we can get to an agreement. Fingers are crossed that we can figure out a, a way and a strategy that allows us to, to remain healthy throughout the year, um, throughout the season. And I think that's that's going to be one of the bigger tasks. And, um, you know, I think a lot's being made of number of games and, and, you know, part of why management wants to play less is just to ensure that we can get the season in. And so, you know, with things happening down in these spring training camps um, down in Florida, both Florida and Arizona are seeing high spikes in, in COVID right now. And that's very concerning. So, you know, there's, there's a lot to juggle here, um, and we didn't even touch on the economics. So, you know, all of that is being factored in, but, you know, still hopeful. You know, you've said that all along, John. I believe that, you know, there's no roadmap, there's no GPS for a pandemic. And there is no precedent to this. But if we just look at the baseball side of it and what's been reported and what fans see, I guess, to this point. Uh, do you, in your position, as you said, knowing more and obviously being inside the industry, do you feel more optimistic, if that's the right word? Do you feel like the ball has been moved at all uh, compared to this time last week when you visited? Uh, oh, I guess you weren't on last week, but at this time last week? You know, I, I think the last month or so, it's been very up and down, a certain ebb and flow of this that I would would agree that hasn't gone as smoothly as as people would have hoped, but I think the realization on on both the owner side and the player side of of if we want to have a season, we we need to figure it out sooner rather than later, and so I, I do feel like there's urgency on both sides to get something done, and as far as like the internal preparation and, and things that we're working on to ensure the the safety and health and well-being of, of our coaches, players, and support staff are are definitely at a heightened status, especially given what we've learned down in Florida this past week. John Mazilak is with us. Uh, as far as the, I guess, negotiations go or the back and forth goes, I think it's probably frustrating maybe for each side and probably frustrating for you at times to see what is reported and see how perhaps certain news is portrayed or headlines. Uh, there are a lot more layers to this than what just appears on the surface. And I think for fans, and I'm not saying this is how it is, but for fans, it's almost distilled at this point to, well, why can't these guys just meet in the middle? You know, like, this side's greedy, this side's greedy. That's not how it is in reality, I don't think. But can you empathize with those frustrations for fans and the fact that maybe for a lot of people that's what it's boiled down to? We had a caller 30 minutes ago that said, I'm not going back to a game. I think that's ridiculous personally, but can you empathize with that frustration? 
Certainly. Um, I mean, everything that's going on in the world, you know, when you when you put baseball aside for a minute and you look at, at the current backdrop of what's happening in America with dealing with the pandemic, dealing with people that are losing their jobs and high unemployment, and then you, you, you think back to just three weeks ago or a month ago with George Floyd and what you're seeing being in terms of protests and, and people wanting to have their voice heard, you know, baseball can, can almost feel secondary or third when you, when you think of what's happening. And, and so with fans being frustrated, you know, I certainly understand it. Um, look, I, I can tell you this. I mean, there's people inside this building that are frustrated. Um, there are people that, you know, they want to get back to work and they want to do things, but, you know, unfortunately we just haven't gotten there yet. And, uh, so when you ask if I can be empathetic to what is happening with our fans, absolutely. How closely do you pay attention to the other sports? Because really from, you know, a large sample size of people together and aggressive testing, that's been, I think, the best litmus test. And it's been PJ Tour, right? Because they've implemented now a process and a protocol over the last two weeks there was a positive test on Friday. I think some fans may have panicked and thought it's going to get shut down. They moved forward. They, uh, you know, I've heard players speak glowingly about the protocols they've put in place at all. Do you pay attention to that? Do you uh, take anything from that as parts of the sports world start to reopen before baseball? I think the PGA is is it's exciting they're back, but I don't think it's a it's a real easy model for baseball, basketball, or football to, to try to copy. Maybe um, not copy, but the, uh, but the fact that they put together a model and they've been able to work through it successfully to this point. Uh, again, I don't think there's a lot of, of crossover. Um, you know, these are individual players that, that um, have maybe two or three people that are part of their sort of traveling party, maybe their swing coach, maybe their caddy, whereas, you know, baseball – you know, even in a, a conservative model, our traveling party is north of 50. Um, and so, you know, trying to keep people healthy, it's going to be it's going to be a challenge. And, and that's really my point of what I said earlier is, is, you know, when you when you look at like what the NBA is considering doing, when you look at some of the things that the NFL's talked about, and then of course, what, what we're trying to do, these are going to be challenging times, because, you know, COVID doesn't understand borders, boundaries, and, you know, once once a team gets an infection, how quickly can you stop it? That'll be really the test. And and can you keep playing without having a team have to stop playing? And, you know, that's the biggest fear on our side is we get this season going, but yet we can't finish. John, what did you make of the draft? I know uh, we spoke to you on a conference call, but didn't have you on. Last Sunday, so from both a results, what you ended up with, but also a process standpoint, what did you make of the draft and then the subsequent free agency period? Uh, first off, I, I thought Randy Flores and his team did a, an amazing job given the, the circumstances and, um, you know, made the most of it. And, you know, I, like all 29 other clubs, we were playing with the same set of cards. But, you know, I, I really felt like from a process standpoint, these guys were prepared. They 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 knew what strategy they wanted to see happen, and, and it was uh, it was fun to watch it unfold. 
And of course, you know, now you got a little bit of hard work is getting everybody signed, but, you know, I'm very optimistic that we'll get that done here in the, the next week or so with most of our players. And so for, for the most part, I thought the draft was a, um, a nice break from what our current reality was. And it, it felt great to, to be a part of something that felt just like baseball. And, you know, probably the point B here is, is that the guys in their preparation, you know, I think they learned a lot and I think there's going to be some takeaways we can move forward with in 2021 that now scouts have more confidence using video and, and allowing them to make decisions. So, I think we can leverage that moving forward. I think you and I spoke about that a couple of months ago, John, is that maybe a silver lining in the way a lot of us have had to adapt and have had to change the way we go about things, certainly professionally, is learning to embrace some new technologies and methods maybe that can help us and can open up some more opportunities uh, down the road for, for everyone, whether you're in your shoes or my shoes or whether you're, you know, in sales or if you're what whatever your profession is yeah i think like as you as you take a real high level view of this it's you know what's the office environment going to look like do can you go with less offices can people work from home um there's a lot of things that over the last three months people have been challenged with and you know fortunately uh, um for the cardinals we have been able to figure out a way to operate now it hasn't been business as usual, obviously, because we're not playing baseball games. And and so it's not necessarily the fairest test in terms of how you look at that. But I certainly think as as we start to reopen and, and, and start to get people coming back to work, it's going to be interesting to see how, how and, and what is the best method in terms of where people are working and how they're working. And so I'm very curious to see what that generation of, of changes may look like. All right, I'll leave you with this. We are playing Game 7 of the 1967 World Series coming up at the top of the hour. I'm enjoying these games, but look forward even more to doing 2020 pregame and postgame shows. But Bob Gibson on the mound, his third start in the World Series, and I asked your skipper this. Uh, with all of these great games that, that we've been playing, I've been thinking about asking you guys, if you could have the chance to add three or four players from the past to any era, let's say you're starting a club, right? You can just add three or four players onto your club. Who are you adding? And you have to give me at least one or two non-Cardinals. Well, I mean, two Cardinals, obviously, would be Musial and Gibby. Um, Non-Cardinals, probably Mays and Mantle. Be a pretty good team. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, like, I obviously didn't remember seeing all those guys, but I remember like you talk to anybody that's been around like sort of the player evaluation side, they always said like, you know, Mantle and Mays were just sort of playing like a different game, chess and checkers. Um, and so, yeah, that'd be kind of fun. Gibson in that world. I actually think about this though. Like, like Gibby was dominant. Like, should I have one more pitcher? Yeah. Well, yeah. And I didn't really give you, parameters um i could assign you some homework if you'd like but uh it's it's just it's just remarkable and, and i know that we talk about this and we talk about it and talk about it and talk about it but just it still is remarkable to look at his numbers like even if you know what they are and you know what he did in 68 or you know what he did in the 67 postseason it's still incredible to look at i know that guys on your club 
you know, have a respect and an appreciation for that. Players today certainly do. But, man, uh, was he just just a different breed. Unbelievable. Well, I mean, he was so good they lowered the mound. So, yeah. You know, him and, not, him and Bill Russell, players. they changed the rules of the sports for. That's my point. Like, you know, if you're, if you're that good and, and the, the game has to change because of it, that says everything. Mo, I appreciate the time, man. Happy Father's Day yeah. to you and your pile of loot that you are uh, surrounded by from your from your family. And here's to hoping that uh, this big week goes well and uh, we're back at the ballpark very, very soon. Thanks so much. Well, well happy Father's Day to all, and um, thank you. And I, I hope we have good news by the end of the week. All right, man. That's John Mozeliak joining us on X. Thanks to Mo. Thanks to Mike Schilt. And... Here's to baseball. Hopefully, hopefully soon. Man, Bob Gibson. <laughs> Numbers in that World Series. And this is the game the Red Sox pissed the Cardinals off. Because they said after they won games five and six, Jim Lonborg was pitching in game seven, and it was going to be Lonborg and Champagne. That was like the original Niger Morgan tweets. Which, oh my gosh. It's been so funny to listen back to the reactions to those. And that's another part of this week's 2011 Revisited episode. I read Chris Carpenter, Niger Morgan's tweets from a couple of hours after the game where Carpenter threw a complete game shutout. Morgan threw his dip at him, got ejected. That was September 7th. And then Morgan got on Twitter after the game and, you know, took some shots at the Cardinals. Daniel Descalso said that he was teammates with Jonathan Lucroy on the Cubs. And like, they were still talking about it like two years ago. And he's like, God, I wish Dodger Morgan would have just kept his mouth shut. So good. So yeah, that is in uh, episode six of 2011 revisited. You can get it at KMOX.com or I please request that you kindly subscribe to the sports open line podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And yeah, if you're sitting around today, maybe after the 67 game, no baseball, take a listen to 2011 Revisited. I've done six episodes now, and it's been awesome. You just heard Jason Mott telling the story of like not like essentially a game of chicken and not wanting to warm up because it's like the hierarchy. Like these guys deal with the same stuff that we all deal with at like an office, right? Maybe different problems, but if you're the new guy at the office, you don't want to take the last donut or you don't want to be the first guy to leave, right? I remember being an intern at a public relations firm in Chicago after I graduated from the University of Missouri. And like, I'd have everything done. They told me, like, yeah, your work days from nine until five. It would be like five o'clock. We were in a big open room. There were like 12 employees and I was in there. It's like 5.05 p.m. and no one's left. And I'm like, can I go? I turn my computer off. I have my jacket. And it's like 5.30. Everyone's still there. And I'm like, oh, my God. This is unbelievable. And it's like 6 o'clock. And I'm like, all right, you know what? I don't work here. <laughs> I don't care that I'm the new guy. I'm leaving. And Jason Mott was the new guy to the closers role. And he didn't think it was time to leave the office and go out to the mound. What a beauty.
2011 Revisited. That's episode six. We'll take a break, come back, wrap things up next on KMOX. From KMOX Sports. Here's the pitch. Welcome back to the Lux Calore International Sports on a Sunday morning. On America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Welcome back in sports on a Sunday morning. Chris Raby with you on KMOX. A big thanks to Cardinals President of Baseball Operations, Sean Moselak, for joining us. Also, Mike Schilt for joining us in our 10 o'clock hour. Uh, there are reports that the Players Union could vote today on the latest proposal from Major League Baseball. Of course, that proposal, 60 games, full prorated salary. The players came back with a 70-game proposal, and that was rejected by the owners. So, let's see, Bob Nightingale reported that they're going to vote today. John Heyman says they're back to intending to vote in the framework proposal today. Situation is fluid, though, so no guarantee. Heyman says the idea to pause was a very smart thought, but the vote appears to be on because players heard it might take too long to get reliable coronavirus info. The new camp coronavirus cases among players and staff involving multiple teams is very concerning on both sides. One player told me he's concerned players have been entering camp for voluntary workouts after a temperature check and questions, but no test. Protocols need to be perfect. So, again, you heard Mo say that, like, that's that's really concerning. And all the facilities are going to be shuttered and cleaned and some new protocols set into place. But that's scary amidst all of the negotiations and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Like, kind of the elephant in the room, or at least I think, the thing that fans don't really want to talk about is that like you could come to an agreement, get set, go through camp, be ready to play. And then another wave of the virus hits and different cities have to shut things down or not allow gatherings. And that stuff is out of anyone's control. There is nothing that anyone can do about that. No one that is a party to the negotiations has any role in what the impact of the coronavirus and a potential future spread or spike would be on the game. So, you know, I guess that the hope, again, is that you can at least come to an agreement like Mo said and get moving before the clock runs out or before maybe things get worse later in the year. That's why I want to get this regular season wrapped up by September and get into the postseason. But, you know, I do think that hopefully you enjoyed the visits with Mo and and Mike today. And I sense that both of them think that there's some momentum. You know? I'm sure everyone gets tired. Like, I get tired of the question, when's baseball coming back? Every time I see someone or talk to someone that, you know, I haven't seen or spoken to in a while. I don't know, ma'am. Hopefully soon. All right, a big thanks uh, again to Mike and to John. Thanks to James O'Sullivan, Cole Duggar as well. And happy Father's Day to all the dads. It's going to be one of the best four-and-a-half-hour car rides I've had maybe ever because not only do they get to listen to a great Cardinals pregame, postgame show, get to go see my parents and hang out on Father's Day. So happy Father's Day. Have a great rest of your day. Cardinal Classic Baseball coming up next. I'm Chris Raby. This has been Sports on a Sunday Morning. 
Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 